This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports, powered through the Alaska Airline Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. Well, there's been a ton of action surrounding the University of Washington and their football program on the heels of their appearance in the national title game. All hell broke loose, Dave. Kalen DeBoer heads off to Alabama, takes some coaches with him. You got players that are going into the NFL draft. You got players ending the the transfer portal. It's trying to figure out who's still here. We bring in the perfect guy to clear it all up for us. He was with us all season long talking Husky football, and he is back with us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. He is a Seattle sports contributor as well as on Montlake. He is Christian Capel. Christian, how are you, man? I'm well. How are you guys doing? Doing good. How how tough has it been for you to uh, keep up with all the the coming and going of players and transfer portal and who's staying and who? Because <laughs> I'm not I'm not entirely clear on who they have to work with as far as an O line going into next season or anything beyond that. Yeah, it's uh, it's been challenging. I mean, you know, it it uh, this time of year is usually pretty quiet when there's not a coaching change. You're you're still looking at the portal and you're looking at recruiting and you're looking at that. February signing day that used to be the the regular signing day and um, you can maybe relax for a little bit but yeah I mean this time of year the portal's going crazy anyway but with uh, a new coach coming in and an old coach going out and bringing his own guys with him and I mean it just seems like um, until every single player on the roster either says yeah I'm in or, or no I'm going in the portal you really don't know exactly what they have to work with so it's, uh, it's a daily exercise it definitely uh, keeps us busy. Yeah, I was going to say, Christian, I mean, uh, with like you're probably tracking it every day. What's the sort of the mechanics for a player that wants to go into the portal? Um, Do they go to a website? I mean, how are they how are they actually executing this? Yeah, they they file paperwork with the compliance department um, and just say that, hey, I'm this is what I want to do. And I think there's like a maybe there's a little bit of a lag on processing it like a day or two before their name actually shows up in there so that when coaches and staffers across the country log in and look at who's available, um, they actually see their name. But yeah, I think it's just as simple as, as filing paperwork with the compliance office. Would, would you say that uh, the activity as far as the, the football program goes, is, it, is there more energy put into the, the portal or is it in recruiting kids out of high school? Yeah, I think it's definitely recruiting kids out of high school. Um, and I think the thing with the portal is those decisions are so business-minded at this point. And, you know, if not just, hey, who's going to pay me the most money or what can you do for NIL, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty straightforward. You know, what's, hey, what do you have coming back? What's the offensive line look like? What's like, you know, Michael Penix Jr. talked about when he came on his visit when he was in the portal from Indiana. You know, it's it's pretty streamlined. Um, you, these kids who are a little bit older know what they want. Um, they want to see what's going to be around them. They want to see what their opportunity is going to be to prove themselves uh, either for the next level or, or play for the first time where they hadn't been before. So, um, and Jed Fish has talked about too, like the, the foundation of the program is going to be high school recruiting. You look at the teams that compete for and, and win national championships and Sure, they're plugging holes through the portal. They still need the transfer portal um, to shore up or maybe add that 
you know, kind of like a like a major league baseball team adding that big bat at the, at the trade deadline or something to make a run for a championship. But um, the Georgias, the Alabamas, the Michigans, those teams have really been built through high school recruiting. I think that's what Jed Fish wants Washington to be. You know, I don't think we've, we've spoken to you since the national title game and, and Kalen DeBoer taking off. Uh, were, were you surprised by that? I remember back at that point, which now seems like a long time ago, but it, it, that I, I was fearful of Michigan because of his ties there, that if Harbaugh did end up leaving, which he did, that maybe that would be his spot to land. But how, how surprised were you by that move? Yeah, not surprised at all when I heard that Nick Saban was retiring. Um, you know, I, like you just said, I, I kind of thought Michigan was the threat. And, you know, I, I, I felt like I had a decent sense of what Kalen DeBoer's ambition was. And that's not to say that he's not somebody you could see at Washington long term if things broke a certain way. Um, but having the opportunity to leverage a national championship appearance into being the guy to replace Nick Saban, that's not for everybody, but I, I could see very easily how Kalen DeBoer would be attracted to an opportunity like that. So I was uh, actually mid-podcast recording our, our weekly podcast when I, I saw on Twitter that Nick Saban was retiring, and I immediately thought, oh, that's that, that's going to be a, a major source of concern for Washington until they get resolution one way or another, and it, it did not take long. So, Christian, you saw something in DeBoer that, that made you not surprised when when he replaced them. What what are those qualities about Kalen DeBoer? It's been very, you know, it was interesting to me. I saw his um, when he his first speech, opening speech at Alabama, and he really sounded like a CEO, really more than anything. But what what about him made it not such a surprise for you uh, when he went to Alabama? Yeah, I mean, you start with the the more practical matter of he he had a a pretty hefty contract extension in front of him that he could have signed and he, and he didn't and you know maybe it was a little uh, a little too easy to take at face value that oh well they're in the middle of a playoff run he just wants to wait until after that um, that was a little bit of a hmm, little bit of an eyebrow raiser kind of like Troy Dan and I talked about but overall I mean I just think he's re- a really competitive guy um, who has only ever known competing for championships. And I think he's pretty clear-eyed and aware of what it takes to compete year in and year out for national championships in college football and knows as well as anybody, I think, that if you're not at one of those six to eight schools that has kind of been you know, filling up that 14 college football playoff over the last decade, it's a lot harder. Not to say it can't be done. I mean, Washington was just there this year. So um, it, he... He saw up close that it is possible to get there at a school like UW, but uh, I just think resource-wise and being able to go to one of those jobs where the money is just no object when it comes to anything. You know, a lot of people talk about the head coach salary and and the contracts and all those things. I don't think that's what was number one for him. I think just being able to be at one of these schools where football is the most important thing they do from top down and everybody's fully bought in on that and resources are no issue. You get everything you want. You've got an entire state behind you and a passionate fan base that packs the stadium for your spring game. Even Um, there's just only so many schools where you you get all that. And I think he saw a chance to, to jump to one of them. As far as the UW team going into next season, I know we don't know what the finished product will look like in terms of the roster, uh, but Considering the attrition 
that that's taken place with the O line, with obviously Michael Penix and Roma Dunze, the receivers, every you know all the all the names of note. It felt like. Uh, what, what do you what are you expecting next year? First year in the Big Ten. Do you think this is a giant step back kind of year? A slight step back? What do you, what's your feeling about what what they have going in? Yeah, I need to see how they come out of the spring portal window in terms of adding players on the offensive and defensive lines because. I think they're set at running back. I think they're pretty talented at running back, especially with Jonah Coleman coming in from Arizona. They were able to convince Will Rogers, the Mississippi State transfer quarterback, to stick around. Um, Jeremiah Hunter, uh, the receiver transfer from Cal, who they they added you know before the the college football playoff, they convinced him to still come to Washington even with the new coaching staff. So you've got a, a number one receiver to throw to. They've added some defensive backs that made them better. I think they're going to be pretty solid at, at corner. Um, they added a, a senior linebacker from San Jose State, and they bring Carson Bruner back and Alfonso Tupatala. There's some pieces at certain positions where you look at it and say, okay, that's you know they're they're fine there. That's not a real glaring need, but man, the O-line especially, and then the interior defensive line too. Where I mean, they lost. Their, their top three guys in terms of snaps played at a really, really, really crucial position, especially going into the Big Ten. Um, I need to see them fill that depth out on, the, on, on both sides of the ball before I really start to say what kind of team could this be. But I think at the skill positions offensively and, and in the secondary, maybe with the exception of safety a little bit, um, they're, they're really okay. It's, it's all about adding depth and hitting the portal uh, along the lines of scrimmage. I think until we see who those guys are going to be, it's, it's TBD for next year. So it looks like Jed Fish is uh, starting to uh, fill out his his assistant coaching uh, roster. What do you make of Jed Fish, and uh, what, what do you think is he going to be the kind of guy? We hear nothing but good stuff about him. Is he going to be able to attract good assistants? Yeah, I mean, he certainly is leveraging his NFL connection, um, and if, if anything is clear about the program that he wants to run, um, it is with the NFL in mind. And he's talked about that. He hasn't been shy about that, that that's what they sell to kids, right? That he's, he's worked in the NFL and you're going to be playing for coaches that, that know what the next level looks like, mm-hmm. you know, what meetings at that level and, and practice at that level looks like. And so, um, you know, they haven't announced it just yet, unless I missed it in the last five minutes here, but it uh, sounds like Steve Belichick is coming as their defensive coordinator, Bill Belichick's son, um, somebody Jet Fish worked with in New England in 2020. Um, they, they did announce Vinny Sinceri is also coming along, another uh, former Patriots assistant. So he's, um, you know, he was, was pretty straightforward that they were going to fill out that defensive staff and look for a defensive coordinator who's got experience at the next level and runs a, a scheme that uh, has, you're going to see in the pros. And, you know, he's on the offensive side of the ball, which is, is where Jed Fish has worked his whole career. He talked about having that pro-style passing offense and, and running a scheme very similar to what you'd see from the 49ers and from the Rams and borrowing from, from these concepts of, of coaching trees and coaches that he's worked for. So uh, you, I think Jed Fish wants people to look at Washington and say they operate like an NFL team would operate. Hey, I Christian, I'm not sure how much you've you've looked at mock drafts at this point. Uh, you know, they're all over the place, and we'll see how they change after the, the combine and workouts and all of that stuff. But it was interesting to watch where Michael Penix was after that Texas game 
because he was in that conversation. Does he get out of the top ten? Does he does he enter the top five? And then after the Michigan national title game, which you know the the entire offense had a rough day, all of a sudden he's not in the first round in a lot of them. And some saying he's a maybe a mid second, late second, third rounder. It's just it feels like the recency bias really kicked in on that. And then he was out there, by all accounts, looking very good in the workouts at the Senior Bowl. What do, what do you think, realistically, his spot should be, based on what you know of him and seen of him? Do you think this is a guy that should not get out of the first round, or do you think he is a second, third-round guy? Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to say. I it, I know a lot of attention is, is going to be given to his injury history, right, and the, the four injuries he had in four seasons at Indiana that, that ended his, his years. Um, I'm a little bit more curious how he came out of the season um, injury wise, especially watching him walk off the field after the national championship game, looked like he was was certainly beat up and nursing some things. Um, but watching him move around at the senior bowl practices doesn't seem like that's anything long term or, or um, that that's going to be a concern going forward. But I mean, obviously he can make every throw. He's got all the arm strength you could want. Um, he's aggressive and confident. He's you know he's a guy who's going to be willing to let his receivers go up and make plays and throw guys open and challenge DBs to make a play on the ball um, and, and beat his receiver, which you didn't see a lot of uh, these last two years at Washington. So I think he's got the mentality you look for, but you know, shoot, uh, I hear, i heard chatter of course, all, all throughout his career about his, his delivery and his arm motion. And is that going to be a concern? I don't know. I mean, it, it's hard to say, right? Like, level of competition in the Pac-12, not so much this, this last season, but the year before, um, you know, was he putting up big numbers because he wasn't playing in a big league? Um, I, I don't know. Just having watched the guy for, I guess, 28 games these last two years, you didn't see a lot of deficiencies. You didn't see a lot of flaws. I mean, you saw somebody who could have maybe plugged him into a, a handful of NFL offenses this last year, and he would operate at a pretty high level. So, Where's the first or second or third round pick? I mean, I don't know, right? It depends on need and, and who it is and what they're looking for in, in their quarterback and their system. But um, I think he proved exactly what he wanted to prove coming back um, this year and given, given teams another year of film to look at of him healthy and upright and making plays and moving around and, and navigating the pocket. Um, he was uh it was pretty fun to watch. I, uh, I is he a first rounder? I don't know, but uh, I, w- I would imagine some team will um, will take a shot on him sooner rather than later. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, uh, Christian, because we, when you see a lot of times the Senior Bowl will be like the big bump that a guy gets. You know, when he is uh, is really impressing the the staff that's down there, and that's usually, you know, if you have a good Senior Bowl, that's really going to improve your your draft stock, and it still seems like. Um, that he is either going to be the back third of the first round or, you know, maybe in the second round. But um, just as, as far as his injuries go, I feel like, you know, weren't they ACL? Was there anything other that was lingering? Because it just I know ACL is a is a big deal, but nowadays it can be taken care of pretty easily. And a lot of times you have a stronger ACL than you had before. Yeah, it was two ACLs and, and two shoulders, basically. Um, and, yeah, they, I don't think any of that was a concern at all at Washington. I never heard a single thing about him having any issues with his knees. And yeah. I, Washington's coaching staff talked about that prior to the 2022 season, saying that, hey, you know, this is 
not only did he have four seasons cut short due to injury, but this offseason coming into 2022 is like the first offseason he's ever had because he was always rehabbing and coming back. And so I think not only was he was he mostly healthy, obviously you saw him get dinged up there um, uh, at the end uh, this last season, but um, he was able to he's able to, to, to really put in a, a full off season and not be held back that way and come into the year fresh. So, um, you know, I, I thought even in the, like in the sugar bowl against Texas, you saw him move pretty well with his legs and yeah. they called some design things for him. And so maybe there's, maybe he's nursing something with the ribs. I don't know, but, um, he, he looked pretty healthy for most of his time there. Yep. Christian is always great stuff. My friend, thanks so much for taking the time with us as, as always. And, uh, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. All right, thank you, guys. There you go, our, our UW insider, contributor to SeattleSports.com, and on Montlake, Christian Capel. It's a weird one with with Penix, and yeah. you know, and it, and it's interesting how every year you'll see these guys coming out of college, and the NFL just doesn't like them for whatever reason, and you didn't see a whole lot with with Penix. To me, anyway, I mean, he was a little banged up in that Michigan game, but it didn't seem like any of the you know, to put it in hockey terms, the upper body uh, injuries <laughs> or the lower body injuries really affected him at all. So I, I don't, it's interesting, you know, to me that they're looking at something and all you're seeing is excellence from Michael Penix. Yet, you know, guys that have been looking at quarterbacks for years and years and years for whatever reason just aren't aren't that high on him. Yeah, and maybe they'll end up being right. I mean, it's hard. We watch so much of him. We see every moment of him. So, you know, obviously obviously there's some bias there. But, you know, it's just I, I was just fascinated by how quickly the, the tables turned from the Texas game to the Michigan game. I'm like, one game has taken place between the time the conversation was, does he get out of the top ten? Should he be in the top five? To is he a day one draft pick is he a day two yeah. draft pick like it just that well, one game changed a lot of the perception yeah but that i would say that was the mock draft people, right, right? right yeah so and i i feel like if you would have pulled the nfl guys at that point they would have had him pretty much where they have him now and so yeah without I think without those guys you know which meaning the nfl and the the coaches in the nfl has probably been pretty steady uh, that they've felt the same way about him. So, yeah, I, I and I would be really surprised if that one game affected what the coaches and scouts think in the NFL. But um, it's it's a weird one. And it's just also, you know, kind of fascinates me. And I maybe if I was in the business, it would be easier if I was a scout and everything. But you see these great players in college, and then you see, and often the NFL is right, where they're like, yeah, yeah he's great, but he can't play in the NFL for whatever reason. Yeah, it, I mean, yeah, I'll trust him. I'll, if if the scouts are saying that the the you know the draft nicks, I take it with a grain of salt. To me, it's conversation, and it doesn't mean Mel Kiper doesn't know football, doesn't know ball. Dave it doesn't mean Todd McShay doesn't know ball. Uh, but I, I just kind of those are conversation pieces to me. The, yeah, the the mock drafts. I look right. at them and say, all right, here's how this guy views them. Here's how this guy views them. Yeah, it, but it, it's a it's a fun conversation. If the scouts. NFL yeah. scouts are saying, listen, man, we looked at these injuries. We looked at how he's moving laterally, blah, blah, blah. There were these concerns because of this. I'm taking that much more seriously, obviously. Yeah. But, you know, the one thing you could say, though, as far as the mock draft guys, especially guys like our guy Ryan Wilson from CBS, mm-hmm. and you get, um, you know, Mel Kiper Jr. and those guys, they're talking to NFL people. 
they have you know they have uh, a line to their sources, you know, yeah. their sources, and they're able to to get that done. So I mean, the the further it goes, <laughs> you know, and the closer we get to the the draft, and there's not anybody saying that Penix is going to be, you know, I think Mel Kuyper said maybe the top third or bottom third, sorry, yeah, of the first round. Yeah, most likely to be drafted day two with the earliest predicted draft range to be the bottom third round, bottom third of round one, the latest predict predicted draft range to be day three. Kuyper noted his injury history, but um, he, he's got him as the fifth best quarterback. He's got him behind Caleb Williams, Jaden Daniels, Drake May, and J.J. McCarthy. So he's got all those guys ahead of him. Yeah, it's <laughs> well, and, you know, you uh... Heisman finalist led the nation in passing. Right. It's it's interesting. Just a quick note here, just from his time out there at the Senior Bowl, he didn't play in the game. Uh, Matt Miller talked about how he and Bo Nix both looked at the Senior Bowl. Today, they were crisp. Today was, okay, these guys look like NFL quarterbacks today. Uh, both looks great. Penix, the arm strength is, is so obvious in person. The ball just flies out of his hand. He's such an impressive thrower. Nix, you get more of the total package. You know, you get someone who's, you know, got – good accuracy, really good mobility, smart player, uh, a really good leader. You can see that in practices. So it's, it's easy to understand why, you know, these players have such a, a good reputation and why NFL teams are so excited about them. Yeah, well, and you look at Knicks as well. I mean, look, those two were one and two in a lot of different categories, right, as far as uh, touchdowns and yardage and things like that. And, um, yeah, they have him as QB number six. Yeah. It, it it's uh yeah it'll be I'll I hope that they they prove the NFL wrong but um typically they get it right so I'll tell you this if if uh the Seahawks stay at 16 Michael Penix is still there and they don't take him I guarantee you when we come into work there're going to be some some angry texts yeah because we've already seen it I hope he falls to 16 and that's the fan I get it you're a Husky fan as we just talked about you see every moment of this kid in a tremendous season Heisman finalist, all the numbers he threw. I mean, he, he was brilliant this year. But as you said, I, I will defer to the experts. I will defer to the scouts as much as I like him. He couldn't be a nicer kid. We had him in studio. You couldn't, there isn't anything I don't like about him. Yeah, I, I get the injury history. You're going to invest millions of dollars into a guy that's never stepped onto an NFL field. Yeah. You want as much assurance as you can possibly get. Well, and, you know, the other thing about that is that typically, you know, Pete mentions grit all the time. And yeah. obviously he's not, you know, part of uh, part of it anymore. But he used to always talk about and, you know, I thought I thought maybe I got a little bit of credit, even though I had a really horrible injury. But coming back from that, taking a year, year and a half to, you know, rehab yourself back. And that's that's what uh, Penix has done with his injuries. Is that what for? He yep. said two shoulder, two knees. All season so ending. You gotta like the you gotta like the grit uh, yep. from a guy like that. All right, coming up over the weekend, the Mariners made an interesting move. We're gonna get into the details of that one coming up with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on seven ten. Wyman and Bob, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Our thanks once again to Christian Capel, who joined us in the previous segment. In case you guys are just tuning in, we were talking some University of Washington and how they fill all the holes of players that are 
either leaving for the NFL draft or entering the transfer portal. So uh, we'll we'll see how the, all of that goes. Meanwhile, there was a, there was a move made over the weekend by the Seattle Mariners. We touched on this earlier in our conversation with Ryan Roland Smith. That also available on the podcast page after the show at seattlesports.com. Mariners acquired right-handed reliever Gregory Santos from the Chicago White Sox in exchange for right-hander uh, Prelander Baroa. Outfielder Zach Deloche ends the 69th pick overall in the 2024 draft, which when you first look at it, when I first saw it, I was like, wow, that's a lot. Let me, let me, because I wasn't watching Santos last year. As we talked about, the White Sox were a disaster. Mm-hmm. Why would I pay attention to their bullpen, Dave? Oh. Um, anyway, looking at the numbers, this guy with a ton of upside. He last year was his first full season. He's 24 years old. He's, but what what struck me initially is that the, when you read the scouting report on him and Baroa, very similar. Now I understand Baroa's had much less time, much less time as a, as a big leaguer in terms of innings pitched. Uh, so a lot of what his you know a lot of the uh, opinion of of him has been formed at the minor league level where he. He's got trouble with the strike zone, walking yeah. guys. Now, it's about projection for him. Yeah, he's he's about a year younger. He's 23. Now, can he work his way out of that? We'll see. But just in terms of stuff, they sound like the, the kind of the same guy. They're both, you know, like I said, within a year of each other, both averaging, you know, the high 90s, hitting 99, triple digits at times, uh, fastball slider, uh, arm side movement. I mean, it, it was almost kind of the same breakdown for each guy. So it was like, wow, it seems like you had a version of that. And then you throw in Zach Deloche, who was a second-round pick, and you're going to throw in the 69th overall pick. In addition to that, to bring back a guy in Santos, who had his first full year last year, not completely full because he he uh, suffered an elbow injury, uh, which makes they made it sound like no big deal. It was just like some inflammation, what have you. Um, so the upside for him is that he, you know, he projects to be a high-leverage guy that they're kind of going for it now almost kind of move where they're going to give up some future potential. You know, we'll see what, what Barola and Deloche and whoever ends up being the 69th pick. But I even texted our guy, John Morosi, like, hey, my, this seems like a lot, you know, and he, he kind of, well, it, it is on some level, but based on where the Mariners are at and their salary cap constraints and blah, 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 or their salary constraints, there's no cap. It makes sense. So I'm curious for Mariner fans, do you like the move? Do you, did you have the first blush reaction? Was it like, wow, that's kind of a lot? Or you said, no, I love this. I'm curious how other people felt. When you first heard about it, were you excited? Yeah, here's where uh, kind of I land on this one. Um, well, first of all, you have to consider, um, you look at uh, this guy's coming from the Chicago White Sox, which is pretty dysfunctional, Gregory, yeah. Gregory Santos, that is. And we heard from uh, Ryan Roland Smith a little bit about that. But so so far, I mean, I think people are are fairly happy with you've traded away some pieces, you know, as far as pitching goes, but you haven't touched your big name guys, your rotation. It right. hasn't had to it hasn't had to come at that expense yet. And so I'm okay with that. Because I think that was one thing that was gonna you know, because the the Mariners not being as active in free agency as people would like then the notion of, well, they can trade away some of their starting rotation to get something good is, is kind of frustrating, I think, to yeah. a lot of people. So it looks like 
you know, so far anyway. And and if they do, and like Ryan Roland Smith said, if they do trade away uh, Bryce Miller, you know, there there's going to be something significant that's coming back in return. And I wonder if people will take that. It's just going to depend on what they get for it. Yeah. And then also, I think a lot of people will be sort of sideways because it's like, well, why weren't you just more aggressive in free agency and spend more money rather yeah. than having to trade guys away? In previous seasons. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, I I think, but so far it hasn't been anything like, you know, you had Topa. That was pretty, you know, he'll be He was really good for you last year. Yeah. He he was. But he was also a guy when he got here, you're going, wait, who? Yeah. So uh, they've succeeded enough in the bullpen with guys you've never heard of. Yeah. For me to go, all right, bring in whoever you want. I'm just going to have sort of almost blind faith. They're going to turn into somebody who's useful. It's 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 more the rarity for the Mariners when they bring in somebody for the bullpen and they don't contribute or they they're not a plus. It's a rarity. They are very adept at at just turning guys around when it comes to that bullpen versus how they develop hitting. I mean, it's just it's a huge strength versus a huge weakness for them. So when they bring in somebody for the bullpen, I just I really have little to no concern about about their bullpen and what they're going to do there. Yeah. They'll figure it out. But John Morosi was on uh, MLB Network uh, talking about this move and, and giving his breakdown of Santos. For me, watching the American League Central last year, Gregory Santos is a potential closer in the making for now the Seattle Mariners. They already have Munoz. They still have Matt Brash. But he is someone in Santos who I believe can handle at the very least a prominent seventh inning role and maybe even an eighth inning role. I wish he had an R in his name there to see if he does that on MLB Network. (laughs) (laughs) I I assume he does. He's very consistent. But yeah, a guy who's got closer type stuff, who can be that guy potentially. But to have three high leverage arms like that, or guys you can put in high leverage situations, it's a good place to be in. Yeah. You know, so uh, Jason Bonetti was on with uh, Brock and Salk, and he talked about Santos, uh, I guess, referring to him as this untapped mineral. Gregory Santos is this, he, he's this kind of untapped mineral, I would say, because he just completed his first year. And you're talking about all the metrics that suggest he's going to have a breakout year. And I wouldn't disagree. I mean, he just completed his first season with a two-seamer. So the White Sox pitching coach, Ethan Katz, had him in San Francisco very early on when Ethan was the assistant there. And then Gregory ends up with the White Sox and Ethan converted his four-seam fastball to a two-seamer and it was all about spin efficiency. Untapped mineral, Dave. I like it. <laughs> That's a unique way of describing a player. I haven't heard that. Well, I mean, you've heard some pretty special things being said about Brash and Munoz, too. Oh, I yeah. mean, Munoz is just a fireballer and you know, and then you see that Brash, just the movement that, that he gets, they, they've got some really special pieces there. So if Santos is able to to be what he said there, an untapped mineral or however you want to put that, I feel pretty good about the bullpen. And yeah. they always get coached up, always seem to anyway. Yeah, yeah, just not a not a ton of concern there. And then just a little more from Benetti talking about he, he touched on it there. The four-seamer wasn't where they needed it to be in terms of the spin, but they worked on a sinker and found success there. So for those that are uninitiated, spin efficiency is about how much of the spin you're putting on the ball is actually contributing to movement. 
And they felt like, Ethan felt like specifically, that the four-seamer just wasn't doing as much, that the sinker paired better with the slider, as we've seen in baseball lore. And he had very good success with his sliders specifically off of the sinker. So he's, he's, I mean, the fact that he just completed his first full season and had success with a with a dysfunctional organization team that I think they lost a hundred hundred and one. I'll have to go back and look at the standard. They were dreadful. They were a dreadful team. Uh and and interesting that they, you know, maybe the Mariners plucked him out of out of a bad situation and he can thrive in this bullpen with a yeah. team that presumably, if healthy, Dave, if healthy, <laughs> should be in the mix for a playoff spot. Uh but he's he's interested, uh Benetti talking about him. Interested to see if they're going to add a cutter to see you know how he developed a slider. They're going to throw a cutter in there, but this is the one I wanted to hear. Uh, what what the level of concern was with the elbow inflammation from last year? And he's a major league pitcher, so he's probably going to you know. Like, I, uh, I I don't think so. I don't think they would have done the deal if they had concerns about that. I think that was just more fatigue than anything fatigue based. I would say, and, and I'm wading into territory where I haven't seen, you know, the the MRI or anything like that. So I don't know exactly, but, I, you know, I wouldn't have imagined they would have done the deal if there was concern that was emergent. But, yeah, I mean, he throws really hard, and that is always a thing. So it sounds like there's no real concern there, and then obviously if it, there were I agree with them. I would assume the Mariners would not pull the trigger trigger on this deal if there was any legitimate concern to what happened last year with the elbow inflammation. Well, and don't you just, I mean, most baseball players have something, right? I mean, oh, yeah. especially pitchers. I mean, you look at the contortion they put their bodies through and everything. Sure, of course. And I, I feel like we've been kind of you know bringing that up a lot, which you do. You want to know what's the downside immediately, but... I don't know. I, d- I just don't get the feeling that there's a whole lot of concern. I feel like the the Mariners medical staff does a really good job. They're discerning about, uh, you know, all these little injuries, and hopefully that'll be uh, something that we don't even have to bring up during the season. All right, coming up, uh, it's a tale as old as time, a mother-in-law reaping what she sows. We'll tell you about that next when we sweep the dial. Coming up with Wyman and Bob, this is Seattle Sports on 710. Scanning the airwaves for the most interesting and entertaining stories of the day. Sweeping the dial. Every afternoon at 445 with Wyman and Bob. Michael Penix said it was a collective decision for him not to play in the Senior Bowl this year. Yeah, man. Um, first of all, you know, I, I came in, you know, to to do whatever I could to make an impact, you know, show, make my presence felt, you know, and just come out here and, and enjoy competing at a high level. And, you know, I feel like um, I, I've been doing that all week, you know, but, you know, it's been a collective, collective decision, you know, between me and me and my team, you know, just making sure, you know, just uh, checking off all the boxes and uh, just thinking about, you know, um, every, everything that's that's right here in front of me. So uh, that's all it was. Just. What do you think of that choice, Dave? You you talked last week about how scouts are out there and they're they're watching the workouts and everything leading up to the game, and then when the game happens, they're gone. Yeah, typically, so, sounds like not a terrible choice, I guess. Are you surprised he didn't play? I am, and here here's the thing. So Bijan Robinson last year, he got I think he got drafted in the first round by mm-hmm. Atlanta. Really good players, a running back from Texas, and I remember he had. Like right after the combine, like two days later, 
he had a a senior you know workout or whatever where they came private you know, his own workout yeah, yeah. and I'm, I'm just like if i was a player i would just make myself available for everything it's every event every event possible like whether it's and to me i kind of feel like he should have played in that game i think that that would have helped him um but yeah they do put most of the stock in that event um in the practices you know like i said there was all kinds of uh, head coaches and coaches out there you see him you know when you watch the i was watching the practices and everything you see lots of the coaches that are recognizable around the league i just think though it would it, especially if you're hearing yeah he's probably hearing from his agent like Maybe, you know, back half of the, the first round, second round. And I just feel like uh, if you if you do everything, now there's a chance you could get hurt or, you know, pull a muscle or something like that. Or have a bad day. Yeah, <laughs> but, but to me, I, I just would be rather be, hey, I'm all in and whatever it takes. I love football, and I feel like that maybe, maybe hurt him a little bit. But, you know, it, look, decision's up to him. Sweeping the dial. Great news for all our Cougar fans. WSU's finally won an Apple Cup. Well, the basketball one, at least. No time was added. Point four. The Cougars can foul, though, to deny the three-point shot. But just don't foul the three-point shooter. Exactly. Isaac Jones high above. And it's Brooks. No, no foul. Washington State wins. And the Cougars' dominance over the Huskies continues. That's 7-2 and two over the last nine games, all in the Kyle Smith era. Bill Walton. Is that our guy, Bill? Just don't foul the shooter. Yeah. That was like the least outrageous he's ever been. His, his, his voice always, always reminds me of uh, Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs. Oh, oh she that real big fat person. <laughs> Wow, that's creepy. You do that really well. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind. Sweeping him. the dial. Christian McCaffrey's fiance Olivia Culpo has purchased his family a Super Bowl suite after his mother Lisa McCaffrey said that they were too expensive on her podcast Your Mom. How do you determine who is in your Super Bowl suite? And then as a follow-up to that, um Saki asked, just how expensive are those Super Bowl tickets that Christian has to buy? That is probably the question of the hour. You have no idea. Um, so, yeah, we um, looked into a suite and none of us can afford it. Not even Christian money bags over there and nor money bags Olivia. So we are not in a suite. I'll tell you that right now. Olivia <laughs> responded after the podcast on Instagram by posting fake news. Happy birthday, Lisa. I bought you a suite. The price of the suites of the Super Bowl this year go from anywhere between 800 grand to two million dollars. Goodness. I, I can't believe that. That is like you were saying, Matt, there's so many things you could do with eight hundred to two million dollars and buy a home. Yeah, I mean <laughs> someplace you could live in more than one night as opposed to the suite. Well, it's kind of funny because we start talking about this off air and like, what if the food sucks? Yeah, what if it's cardboard pizza and chicken fingers and yeah. some grapes? I mean that there's gonna be very, very high expectations. It's like when George Costanza got on the private plane and he's like, This is a real dump. Yeah. This <laughs> is so disappointing. So what Ted Danson flies on. Yeah. I mean, I think you would expect so much. Uh, by the way, Lisa McCaffrey has like a real smart ass sense of humor. And so, yeah, money bags. And that's his money bags. To me, I think that's, that's really funny. Uh, Olivia Culpa, what does she do besides look pretty? I think she's a, isn't she not a supermodel? Or? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so model. she looks pretty. So I guess she that's makes she a does. lot of money being pretty if she's the one that went out and bought 
Man. the suite for whatever she who knows what she paid. If it's if the bottom end is eight hundred grand and the top end is two million. First of all, what's the difference between what you get with the eight hundred thousand dollar one Good and question. the one that's two million? Yeah. Right. Maybe it's the food upgrade. Maybe it's more space. I don't know. I don't know. They, the $2 million, they better give me a brand new car to drive home in yeah. after that, at what least. If, what if, also, what if, uh, <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> what if the Niners lose? That's the other thing. Ooh, yeah. I just spent $2 million to watch us get spanked. Nice uh, job, money bags. <laughs> yeah. God. That's insanity. That is insane. I did, and, and good for Christian. His, his fiance does well. That's that's big dough just to be tossing around like, ah, I got you. Don't worry about it, mother-in-law. You know, some of the best uh, vacations that I've ever been on were ones that I did not expect that much. You know, when we went to Bali and it was a business trip for my wife because she was doing jewelry at the time. And, you know, we it took us 24 hours to get from our doorstep to the hotel room, you know, and I didn't expect that much out of it. I thought it was going to be a grind and it was fantastic. Loved it. But then, you know, you get the other ones where you plan every last little detail and you're kind of disappointed in yeah. some some ways. I feel like a $2 million suite, you're going to expect... I don't know what you're going to expect. I got to know what they get in there. I got to know what that's like. Yeah, I mean, is it like the best champagne? Is it... What did you mention, Mr. Fancy Pants? or something. It's got to be $2 Yeah, but you even had like the brand or something of the caviar? Foie gras. That's a different food. Oh, okay. What is that? It's not duck caviar. Yes, duck. Yeah. Why are fish eggs a Mr. delicacy? Fancy Pants over here. Anyway, what? Fish eggs. Yeah. Ugh. Disgusting. You, have you eaten caviar? No. Anybody? No? I'm surprised. I figure your dad would have some, being such a fish guy. Yeah, but I mean, that stuff's pricey. The stuff he gets is free out of the ocean. What is it, like beluga? <laughs> is that the, is that the stuff? Beluga caviar? Yeah. Is that, a, is that a thing? I think that's the big one. Yeah. It's, I would take the chicken fingers. Get the get the fish eggs out of here. Give me the give me the chicken strips, man. $2 million for a suite. I, mean, I bet you they have the big box of red vines. Yeah. Like we have up in should the... Should be endless. Should be Everything should be endless. As much as you can eat and drink, as much as you can consume, Go nuts. That's the best thing going on at Lumen Field. The big packages of red vines well, and they Skittles. Put a halt on those sort of mid-season. That's because they were giving them all to you and me, I think. <laughs> We'd show up every Monday. We each had a box of licorice. The difference was mine was unopened and Dave's had three left in there. <laughs> he goes, like, I hey, got I, one too. I brought some for everybody. <laughs> one piece for <laughs> everybody. <laughs> all right. Sweeping the dial is powered by Seattle University men's basketball. There are no words to properly prepare you for what you are about to hear. Mark Schlereth is next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710.